What's up everyone and welcome into the Buffalo Sports Collective. It is March 11th, 2022. We have a jam-packed show for everybody today. We're going over the beatdown that the Sabres took on Monday against the one of the top teams in the league, the Florida Panthers. We got some Buffalo Bills action that some moves they've made. Uh, I got a little rant I'm going to go on about some things that I don't like about the NFL. And then we got some... A lot of bandit stuff to go over. We got a trade deadline that's coming up on Tuesday, so we're going to go over some past trades and some clues that might tick you into see if the Buffalo Bandits are going to make a trade coming up before the deadline. And then, of course, our preview with the Bandits facing the Wings on Saturday. So tomorrow we got our predictions, we got our possible milestones that might happen. So, Phil, we got a jam-packed show. Are we ready just to dive right into it? It's been a long time since we've heard a uh, PK rant, so I think we are ready. Yeah, I don't uh, care a lot of care about a lot of things in life, but when I do, I care deep and passionately. <laughs> so this one's gonna be a a nice, like passion filled rant. I did a lot of research to back up my statements oh, here, here and we'll we'll see what happens. But it's never good when yeah, you remember- when you have research to back up your rants, let alone just emotions. So. Yeah, there's going to be emotions, there's going to be facts, I'm going to be spitting some knowledge for everybody, so buckle up and get ready. So remember, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective, on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co., subscribe to our channels wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you want to hear just certain parts of this, like when I go on my rants, you can look for the time breakdowns in the descriptions of the show. So Phil, we'll get it out of the way early. The Buffalo Sabres took a huge walloping on Monday versus the Florida Panthers. They lost 6-1. to one. John Hayden scored the only goal, so when your tough guy is the only one that scores a goal, it kind of uh, is a good example of how bad the team actually played. Anderson made 25 of 31 saves. He's still looking for win number 300. The shots were 31 to 30 in favor of the Panthers, so the shots were pretty close. There was a four-goal second period by the Panthers, Phil. Uh, what's your notes on this game? Yeah, a former Sabre did end up scoring in this one, but it just wasn't the one we expected with Montour getting the first goal of the game for the Florida Panthers. So I guess congrats to a former Sabre for scoring on the Sabres. But yeah, the defense looked atrocious in this game. They were caught just kind of napping the entire time, and it wasn't just the defense. I mean, the entire team looked awful i mean it pretty much looked like a practice drill with the panthers skating five on oh the entire game i mean the way they were able to pass and score with just incredible ease was pretty mind-blowing i mean the panthers i believe third goal of the game there were three sabers players going after one panther player up against the board every single one of them missed leaving a two-on-one in front of the net and the panthers neatly tucked it home and that was in the middle of their line change when they only had four players on the ice like to be that embarrassed, I just, I, I have no words for this game. Like, it, like I understand the Panthers are extremely good and the Sabres are, you know, not the best team. But at the same time, the Sabres have been able to hang with some of the better teams in the league that we've seen recently that they've either beaten them or at least, you know, kept it close, kept it interesting, kept it fun. This was just a flat out embarrassing game and the Panthers pretty much just danced around them and had no difficulty in winning this game whatsoever. Yeah, it just seemed like the team just didn't come to play. It seemed like they ran into a buzzsaw of a team. The Florida Panthers are a a Stanley Cup contender, and they just had no interest and no counter to the the Florida Panthers' attack. Yes, like you said, the Panthers are one of the best teams in the league, but also, like you said, they have been in the games against close competition. The Wild, the 
the Maple Leafs of recent games and you beat both those teams. This one is just, you saw what they were doing. You just couldn't counteract it. So you kind of just gave up. And the one thing that you can control is the effort you put in the game. Yes, you are far superior. You don't have the talent that the Florida Panthers do. Obviously you've gone through the whole season with the team. You do half the players on this team are not going to be back next year, but you can at least control the effort that you provide, and the effort just wasn't there tonight. Like you said, the defense broke down constantly. It was just a gross game altogether, and uh, there's there's no other words to describe it except move on. They're, they're playing Las Vegas tonight as we're recording right now. Jack Eichel's return, so we'll hit on that one on our next show, the whole uh, you know Jack Eichel saga for one last time, but... Hopefully they can bring it back to the action on Thursday night, which you guys will all know by the time, you know, you're listening to this, but it was just an ugly game. And this is one of those ones that you don't want the trend to continue like it has in past years where players just show up to the ice, they play their game and they move on and they don't really care. Uh, I I don't want a team like that in Buffalo anymore. Yeah, it was a uh, very gross game and I am ready to not talk about it anymore. 100%. 100%. So we've pretty much covered the the next two games. It, it's going to be a fun, you know, uh, recording that we're going to be doing for our next show. They got the Vegas Golden Knights that they're playing right now as we're recording. And then on Sunday, four o'clock, they're facing the Toronto Maple Leafs on the outdoor game, the Heritage Classic game. So that'll be fun. Uh, I'll probably be watching it, probably record it and then watch it later on. But uh, we'll go to the BSC update for game 58. I am currently up 1621.9 to 1422.62. So I'm right at the peak of 200 points again. You put up minus 0.5. I put up two points. So it was a very ugly game with the Buffalo Sabres and our BSC uh, teams all together. Yeah, they uh, they reflect the team that was put on the ice. <laughs> 100%. It was such a gross game, Phil. Gross altogether. So, like we said, we will cover the, the next two games and all next week because the NHL trade deadline is Monday, March 21st, I believe at four o'clock. We'll hit on some guys that we could uh, possibly see walking out the door. Maybe we'll do the the forwards first and then the defense and goalies second. So uh, we'll, we'll go over some possible guys out the door and there could be some change up on the team as we see it the rest of the season. And hopefully that means some of the guys in Rochester get called up, but we'll head on that on our next show. So Phil, we'll move on to our Buffalo bills. Phil, did you know that the draft is only 48 days away? Yeah. I mean, football never really stops. Um, it does not. No. Even when, you know, the season wraps up. I mean, as you can tell from all of our episodes, we have gone in depth every single week with something and the bills are pretty much constantly on this show, even though they haven't played in quite some time. So the NFL is, is pretty much always there. It's basically a year round sport at this point with something always going on. And yeah, the draft is not that far away and free agency is kicking off shortly. Yeah. I'm have done almost zero draft prep yet that doesn't start until april for me so i got some time to relax on that front but as soon as that starts kicking off we're gonna have to start draft coverage here on this show so phil some uh, i wouldn't call it huge news because it was going to happen regardless of when it happened but ed oliver had his fifth year picked up he's going to be making i believe 10.6 not next year it's the following year he's headed into year three I want to say three or four. I can't remember, but his fifth year is being picked up. So he will be on the team. You don't have to worry about it. It's just, will he be able to sign an extension after that fifth year? Kind of like Josh Allen did, or is he going to be one of those guys that 
you know, is is a guy that you're going to have to worry about losing because there's just not enough money. Yeah, I believe he is headed into year four because I talked about how a lot of times the Bills have been able to extend in that fourth year before they're really worried about the fifth year other than Edmonds. I think they said every single one of Bean's first round draft picks so far have been extended. So, yeah, I mean... Could he be priced out? It's possible, but I think at this point he's a pretty big staple of that defensive line, and I, I could definitely see him here for years and years to come. I'm sure Bean will not only have it worked out, but I'm sure he's already kind of planning for it mentally, so I'm sure he's already got that math of, you know, the next three, four, five, six years kind of started to be figured out on some giant whiteboard hidden hidden far away from us, but known to him. So I'm sure he's working on it, and Oliver will be part of this team for quite some time i did double check you are right he is headed into his fourth year so right around the same time josh allen got his big extension at oliver get his fifth year picked up so he's not going anywhere for at least two more years but two guys that are heading out the door the bills released aj klein their backup linebacker that will save them 5.1 against the cap he is a four hundred thousand dollar dead cap and they also released john feliciano one of the backup uh, offensive lineman he he signed last offseason to be one of their starters but he kind of just lost his job and you know he, he bounced around he was very well liked guy in the locker room but this move saves them 3.4 against the cap a is a 1.5 million dollar dead cap this year so they were over the cap they are now about 1.5 to 2 million dollars under the cap so they got a little bit of wiggle room they need to get about $8 million under the cap just to sign their draft picks. I believe they're going to want to aim to get around 25 to $30 million under the cap just so they have some flexibility to sign some free agents because you need to bring more guys in. But one guy that you don't have to worry about is they re-signed Jay Kumaro to a one-year deal. There's His contract uh, numbers are not in yet, so we're not sure, but I'm assuming it's going to be close to the league minimum, which is you know around $800,000, $900,000. So it's not going to be a huge deal, but he was a big, key special teamers guy he played about 60 percent of the special team snaps last year so bringing him back and being another solid guy on the special teams that has been one of the top ones in the league since sean mcdermott took over this team it's nice to have another guy back yeah i wonder what that does to uh Matikavich also kind of moving yep. forward because now you have dotson returning which kind of sealed klein's fate in a way and now with kumaro returning i wonder what uh what they're going to do with Matikiewicz, I know if they cut him, they can save some more money. And then obviously with the Bills giving Beasley room to look for a trade, I'm sure he is also most likely on his way out. So, I mean, that's another, I believe, 6.5 right there. So they definitely have some people they still need to cut and some things they need to do. But, I mean, they are headed in the right direction to uh, be under that cap. And like you said, hopefully have some wiggle room to sign some players. Yeah, that's a good point on Medikavich. They can save about $2.5 million if they release him too. So like we said, on each of our positional breakdowns, we went over each individual guy on what they can do. They can extend some guys. They can restructure some guys. They can cut some guys. So the ability to save and create some space is obviously there. It's just this is the start of it. This is the start. We knew it was coming. It was just, you know, which guys were going to go. So, uh you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what comes of this. But Phil, there has been some huge news in the NFL recently and just some notable, noticeable guys. And it was supposed to be a quarterback quarterback carousel this offseason. And it started with a bang. Aaron Rodgers re-signed back in Green Bay. So he is not going anywhere. But another guy is coming over from the NFC to the AFC. It's a 
quarterback powerhouse right now in the AFC. Russell Wilson is going to Denver. They made it instantly makes Denver a title contender. They were a quarterback away. They have a loaded offense. They got a great defense. It's it's a scary thing, and that AFC West is is terrifying. And uh, in return, we sent Carson Wentz, Whoopi, to Washington. So we traded Carson Wentz for Russell Wilson. That does not seem fair to me whatsoever. No, but at the same time, there are rumors that Garoppolo might be headed to the AFC. So uh, I think that's a fair trade right there. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'd rather have Garoppolo or Wentz. It's a real toss-up. Well, that's true. They're both they're both bad, though, is kind of what I'm yes. saying. Like, if, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> if the trade-off is Wentz and Garoppolo, I mean, I'll take that. Wilson, obviously, coming to the AFC is not great. Um, I mean, it just makes the Bills road a little tougher, but more importantly, it makes the Chiefs road even tougher. And I know because of this, the Bills, according to betting odds, took a little bit of a jump and they are now the title contender for the AFC championship. So, I mean, that's that's exciting that we are the standalone betting favorites to win that now. Um, So, yay, Bills. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you got to face I mean, Mahomes alone has to face Russell Wilson twice and Justin Herbert twice. And then even Oakland, who uh, who had a very good season last year, they made the playoffs and that's not a cakewalk either. So putting Russell Wilson in this division hopefully knocks Kansas City down and maybe gives them another loss. Because if Kansas City would have lost one more game, that AFC divisional game would have been in Buffalo as opposed to you know, on the road, and that would have been Mahomes that made the call. The coin would have flipped the other way, and Josh <laughs> Allen would have gotten the ball first. So, Especially uh, with that Buffalo you know, wind and the way it swirls, that coin would have fallen in our favor. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that pretty much covers all the moves right now. So, Phil, do we want to go over? I know we, we briefly went over some guys that we might have been interested in in our positional breakdowns, but... I'm holding you to it. Who are the top two guys you would, if you put on your GM hat right now, who are two guys that you would sign if you were the GM of the Buffalo Bills? Okay, well, there's one that we have to start with, and it goes without saying because, uh, I mean, this podcast is just his biggest advocate. So Isaiah McKenzie, obviously coming back, not even a question. Um, He is currently a free agent, but I'm not even going to put him on this list because he'll be back in Buffalo. You know, he just has to be. He's amazing, and uh, we love him, and uh, he'll be back. He'll be back. So outside of him, I have some one interesting one to throw at you, which I think we kind of discussed a little bit off podcast, but I tried looking it up a little bit more, and I think actually looking it up more uh, made it even farther of a stretch, but I'll throw the interesting one at you first, and that is Allen Robinson And it's simply because if he follows the Mitch Trubisky route, I mean, they both came from the same team and Robinson last year or last, yeah, last year had an incredibly low 38 catches, 401 yards and only one touchdown. And that is coming from a rookie QB and their QB mess in Chicago when he was also injured quite a bit. He is 28 years old, so he's in his prime. So I'm not exactly sure if he'd be willing to take a one-year flyer on a team like Buffalo and Josh Allen to try to increase his stock for one big final contract. But I could see him possibly going that route on just a one-year deal to the Bills for, you know, that Super Bowl chance. And not only that, but just to really raise his market and raise his stock. But at the same time, with Adams and Godwin now off the market, he becomes one of the best wide receivers still available, even with his off year. So I could see a team still possibly overpaying for him if they really need that wide receiver to come in and try to be that wide receiver one. But 
if his market isn't as good as he would like it to be, I could possibly see him coming into the for the Buffalo Bills and maybe doing a one-year prove-it deal. But even that would be probably a little expensive for the Bills. So it'd be interesting to see what they could work out. But I think he would be a really fun, fun free agent to go after. But it'd be a hard one to get. I definitely love that one. I do think... Cole Beasley is likely not going to be back with the Buffalo Bills. I think it's pretty obvious. I don't believe Sanders is going to be coming back. They need another wide receiver in this room, even if McKenzie resigns. They're going to need another option in that room. And I love Allen Robinson. I've loved him for a very long time. He's made <laughs> countless, countless great seasons, thousand yard seasons, uh, over a hundred catches and over like 150 targets or something like that with terrible, terrible quarterback play. And then his coaches do not help them. I mean, he had uh, Doug Marone for a while. Matt Nagy's a terrible, terrible coach. And he just kept making do. Imagine if he had Josh Allen throw him in the ball. I think that's the perfect example of Mitchell Trubisky coming to Buffalo, you know, re, you know, redoing his career taking what he has learned here, growing from it, and he's going to make a ton of money this offseason because there's so many teams that need quarterbacks. There's Tampa Bay, Seattle, uh, Indy. There's so many teams that are quarterback hungry right now, and the draft is not going to be bountiful for good rookie quarterbacks. So I think Mitchell Trubisky is going to make a ton of money. I love the idea of bringing him in. I think he's going to be even on a one-year prove-it deal where he can come in and, you know, restart his career for that one other giant contract like you said maybe one year for eight million dollars but i think he's even gonna get to the 10 12 million dollar range just for one year and i don't know if the bills are gonna be able to (laughs) afford it and be able to afford all the other things they want to do but if they can do it love it you need to score a ton of points in this league it's not about you know stopping people on defense one come playoff times pretty much outscore the other teams and I think jo- or, um, Allen, uh, Allen Robinson on this team can take this offense to another level they have not been at yet. And, I mean, if we could listen to some Allen to Allens, that would be fantastic. 100%, yep. <laughs> Love it. So, I guess with my first one, I went a little bit of a cheaper route than uh, you did, but I think he's very underrated. I don't believe he's going to be able to go back to the the team that he previously played on. He confused me because I had his counter. Uh, you know, player on uh, the team as well on my fantasy team. And every time this guy caught the ball, I was like, oh yeah. And then I realized who it was catching it. Cedric Wilson, when we talked about the positional wide receiver breakdown, I was very much in favor of bringing him in. He's only 26 years old. He had 45 catches, 61 targets, 602 and six. He was making $2.1 million with the Cowboys. Cowboys can not going to be able to afford him. They cannot bring him back. They're trying to cut Amari Cooper and bring Michael Gallup back. Very confusing. Doesn't make any sense, but I don't think Cedric Wilson's going to be coming back. I think he's a day two or day three signing after free agency opens. I think you can get him around one or uh, between four and five million dollars if you can sign him for a two or three year deal and replace Cole Beasley with him he's got the speed he he's a very electric uh, wide receiver and he's he's only 26 years old I would love to bring him in a cheaper route than or a little bit of a cheaper option if you go away from the the Allen Robinson route and you go you know a little bit bargain shopping for this team but I think he can instantly come in and improve this wide receiver room love it um I do like it I like the I mean you know me specifically, I'm, I'm all about the underdog story. So anyone we're bringing in at a value who can possibly, you know, overachieve 
what they are, I guess, worth, even though that might not be what they're actually worth, but it's what they're worth in the NFL market. Um, a player like Wilson could come in and just be what he was last year or even better um, with Josh Allen and just this team. So I do like the option. And again, I think the Bills are going to have to go the cheaper route, but my number two option, who I think is a little more realistic, but still on the expensive-ish side, is going to be Christian Kirk. He is 25 years old. He is a slot receiver. He's my replacement for Beasley. He would be a pretty big upgrade in my eyes. He had 77 catches last year for 982 yards, five touchdowns, and caught an impressive 74.8% of his passes, which was fifth most among wide receivers. He's currently projected at four years at $50 million, which is about 12.5 a year. Obviously, you can turn some of that into a bonus and, you know, Bean can work his magic and do what he needs to do. But I think having a core of just a future long-term core of Diggs, Davis, Kirk, McKenzie, and Knox, I mean, that is just absolutely terrifying for other teams. I think Kirk might be a little bit too expensive, but at the same time, he's just coming into his prime. He's only 25. I think he could be a very long-term option for this team. And again, that wide receiver core plus Knox is just a core that could be here for a long time, still very young, still growing, but a just terrifying core to look at. He also uh, was partying it up with Josh Allen. And, he was. Uh, he was. Instagram I mean, pictures too. So that conversation definitely appeared. It's like, hey, you want to take a little bit money? I, uh, <laughs> a little bit less, I'll throw you the ball a lot more. But yeah, I do love him. He was somebody that I brought up. But like you said, with the Devontae Adams, the Chris Godwin signing, he is moving up the ranks. And with how he played in Arizona, he played outside his first few years and then they signed AJ Green and he moved into the slot. So he can play all over. He's still young, but I, I, I'm afraid of what the price tag will be, but I love him and I would love to bring him in if, if they can afford him, if they can keep it, you know, a hair under $10 million a year, I would love it because he is still young and still developing and pairing him with Josh Allen would be beautiful. But I, I'm, it's just, you know, it's the way of the ways when you're starting to pay your quarterback top dollars is you got to pick and choose, but I would love him if they can make it work. Now off the books, can Allen just make up that extra 2.5 a year and just, you know, divvy out some of his uh, massive contract that he's going to be getting and just, you know, under the table, be like, Hey Kirk, uh, I'll make up, I'll make up the rest of the contract that uh, the bills can't pay you in cap space. I, I got you. Maybe we can <laughs> shoot him a DM with that idea. You know. <laughs> Maybe you hadn't thought of it. My uh, my other guy, another uh, you know cheaper option. I'm a little concerned he's going to re-sign with the team he just came from because they he did have so much success there. But I'm going J.D. McKissick, uh, another electric ro- running back that I think would be a change of pace back. I I think you need to give the bulk of the carries to Devin Singletary. I think he deserves it. I think he earned it, especially down the stretch. He was just he he is a very underrated runner. He doesn't get tackled for losses very often he's I think he's very I think he's a very good runner for what the Buffalo Bills need at the running back position I think they just need to continue you know Matt Burita wasn't it they they tried it they didn't try it very much in my opinion but you know he fumbled once went in the doghouse didn't play again Zach Moss is just he's not the player they thought he was when they drafted him in the third round JD McKissick I think could be a huge change of pace back you saw what Devin Singletary did out of the backfield. They were targeting him a lot more. J.D. McKissick can be that role. He had 43 catches for uh, 397 and two touchdowns. He was making 1.6 last year. He's only 28 years old. 
Give him a bigger bump. Give him about $4 million for two years. So two for four, $8 million for a backup running back like that, who can be your change of pace back, who's electric out of the backfield. He's a, a superstar pass-catching running back back there. That also would change your whole dynamic of your offense where you don't have to, well, you have to worry about somebody coming out of the backfield that can catch the ball and take it to the house. I love him. If the Bills can target him and he doesn't go back to Washington, I would love to have him be that compliment, complimentary back to Devin Singletary. And I think those two would gel perfectly together. I think he's an interesting situation with all the moves that were just made. I mean, yes, 28's not crazy old, but at the same time, we understand how sports work and 28 is getting up toward, you know, you're he's kind of in the middle of your back. prime, but you're a little bit north of the, you know, you're headed toward the end of your career. And with Wentz going to Washington, he might look at that and be like, all right, well, he might not be the answer to our team's troubles, our QB troubles. I mean, if he just watches anything that Indy did last year, I mean, they had to win one game to make playoffs and could not do it. So if McKissick, you know, kind of sees something like that, sees what Washington's doing and says, well, I'm 28 years old. If I can make a lot of money and go try to win a Super Bowl with the Bills, maybe I can go do that. So that might be a situation where the Bills finally have some pull on some of these players because we are a Super Bowl contender and have been doing so well for a couple seasons now. So, I mean, maybe that's one of those times where he might take a little less or a similar contract, but come to a team that is, you know, locked and loaded and ready to go versus his team that we don't know what Washington, the uh, commanders are doing there. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, how long was the drought? 17 years? This is the first time where I've actually, I think it's actually finally setting in that, yes, you have this high-powered offense led by Josh Allen. You have this competitive team year in and year out that's, you know, a Super Bowl contender from here on out because you have your quarterback. You have guys that can recruit other guys into here. Uh, Stefan Diggs do, doing it all the time. And it just feels so good to have a team that, you know, players want to come to it used to be you know you'd have to bang down people's doors and pay them gobs of money over what they should be making just to come to buffalo now you get you have a team that players are going to want to seek out and come play for this team play for josh allen and you know kind of extend their careers a bit or come in here for one year and then go out and make gobs of money because josh allen you know resurrects their career it's it's something that i have not seen coming and it feels so good to be in this position where Yes, we don't have a ton of money. You can't go out and you know spend on these you know high-powered players that are out in free agency. But there's going to be players that take a bit of a discount to come play for your team, and that's uh, that's very unusual for a Buffalo Bills sports team, or just a Buffalo sports team in general. Yeah, like you said, I mean, how many years, like you said, if we had to overpay for free agents, it's very strange still, even though we're kind of coming to grips with that reality that the Bills are actually a pretty solid team that teams want to or players want to come to to play for. Um, it's still a little weird to think of free agents maybe seeking out the Bills and maybe taking a small pay cut to play on such a good team. It's still it's still very weird and very strange to even consider. <laughs> So, Phil, on our next show on Monday that's going to be airing, we will go over our uh, top two free agency on the defensive side of the ball that we would like to bring in if we were the GM because, once again, free agency opens on Wednesday the 16th. The tampering period opens on Monday, so we might get some moves you know, as our episode's recording, and maybe some of these guys that we were mentioning will uh, 
want to come to Buffalo and uh, try to win a championship here. That's the dream. So, Phil, it is time. Everybody loves it. I get passionate. I uh, I spew emotion. And this one, when it broke, it, you know, it originally you. I was like, yeah, it broke <laughs> me and, you know, my limited brain cells. But I started thinking about it more and more and more. And then as the week went on, I did more and more research about, you know, how stupid this is. So for those that don't know, Calvin Ridley was suspended for an entire year because he placed bets in football, like more, you know, more specifically parlays. He said that he bet 1500 bucks, which for an NFL player making that amount of money, uh, you know, not a ton of money. He spent 1500 bucks. I hope he won some because he's going to be missing out on $11 million <laughs> because he's been suspended. So that's a terrible loss, bad odds there. But, Phil, I have no problem with the NFL spent suspending him for a full year. I don't agree with it because, you know, if you're betting on your own team to win, whatever. You can call it insider trading, whatever you want to say it. If you're betting on your team to win, you're going to perform even better. So what's the benefit of that? You know, your team's trying to win. My point is, there are so many situations where players have been suspended for a lot less for a lot worse actions done. This NFL is preaching nonstop. How many times can you watch TV and you see a betting commercial for uh, DraftKings or FanDuel or MGM, whatever it is, they're shoving it down your throat. A player does it. I understand you got to suspend them for the integrity of the league, but I'm going to run some through some uh, suspensions and let me know you know, if, if these guys should have received a longer suspension, remember Ray Rice, domestic violence, knocked out his, his wife or his girlfriend on the elevator. Roger Goodell saw that before the public did and gave him two games. And then the public saw it, the outcry indefinite two games for what he did. You know, uh, let's see AP Adrian Peterson, felony child abuse, six games, Zeke reputed, re- repeated, Domestic violence, six games. Greg Hardy, domestic abuse, 10 games, reduced to four. Michael Kendrick, guilty plea, insider trading, eight games. Jameis Winston, sexual harassment accusation, three games. Adam Jones, guilty of obstruction charge, one game. Derek Coleman, guilty of domestic violence charge, four games. Prince Shambo, animal cruelty, two games. Derek Coleman arrested on charges of vehicle assault and hit and run. He was initially indefinite. It was reduced down after just four days. Rodney Austin, guilty of domestic abuse, six games. Jonathan Dwyer, domestic violence arrest, three games. Josh Brent, convicted of manslaughter. He drove drunk, killed one of his teammates that was in the front seat because he crashed. Ten games, Phil. Ten games for manslaughter. This is just since 2014. I didn't go back further. I stopped at 2014. I'm not saying Ridley didn't deserve the suspension he got. Whatever. I am arguing that the length doesn't match the crime because all the other crimes that have been committed, actual crimes, didn't. the worst one was 10 games for killing a guy. Are you kidding me? And Ridley gets a full year, loses all his pay for betting 1500 bucks. And these other people are committing actual crimes, crimes, things you should go to jail for. And they get a handful of games. It's just the inconsistency and the things that the NFL puts on 
being more strict about just doesn't make any sense. None of these, none of these games fit the crimes that have done all these guys that are, you know, found guilt, actual found guilty in a court of law should not be playing in the NFL. It's just, it's mind blowing what the NFL considers worse than other things. It doesn't make any sense to me. It should be a, you know, a black mark on the NFL. They treat these kind of things, domestic abuse, like it's a common thing and it shouldn't be happening. And it's just, it's a disgrace what the NFL is doing with all these different suspensions. It doesn't make any sense. And once again, I only went back to 2014, Phil. There are so many more things on that list I could have added to it that are far worse than what Kelvin really did. It just, again, you want to suspend him for a full year because you got to protect the integrity of your game. It makes perfect sense. I don't care about the actual suspension that he got. Whatever. It's everything else before what he got. It doesn't make any sense to me. And it, it's a pathetic, you know, decision made by Roger Goodell for all past crimes and suspensions that have been happening. Yeah, I feel like if Ridley eventually does um, appeal this, which I assume he will, that, I mean, all you have to do is bring up a list like this and say, you know, how is me being away from the team legally... I mean, legally, as in, you know, a citizen betting $1,500 on an NFL game, get me a full season, but people who have been criminally convicted of charges are allowed to come back after, you know, not even a full season, let alone, you know, not even in most cases, half a season. I mean, again, like you said, I mean, yes, he was away from the team, but you still represent your team because you're still technically a part of them. So I understand not allowing him to bet on the games, whatever. But even the fact that they did, you know, research into it and did an investigation and they said that his betting had no, you know, bearing on the game whatsoever, that, you know, nothing was, nothing happened because of his betting. Like he didn't go up to players and say, you know, oh, throw it or anything like that. The integrity of the game was perfectly fine. No one really knew that he did this. And so he kind of did it on his own when he was away from the team, not saying it's, you know, officially correct or anything, but like you said, as far as, you know, just what, <laughs> what lines up here, I mean, he didn't affect the game at all. He was away from the team and he did something legal versus all these other players who were criminally convicted and got, you know, even way less of a suspension. So I get, the integrity thing, like you said, and I get the suspension in a way, but for it to line up with any of these, just, it doesn't make any sense. Like you can't, you're, you're openly admitting that betting on your own game is worse than any of these other things that all these other players did. Like you're, you're trying to say that, you know, betting on the NFL as a player or someone, you know, a part of a team is worse than manslaughter in some, in some delusional form. So I don't know if I'm Ridley. I mean, I definitely appeal the suspension and just bring up this list and just try to get Roger Goodell to explain to me in person how what I did is worse than any of these. And like you said, it's one thing if all of these other suspensions were either indefinite for all these other players, like immediately kicked out of the league and then Ridley got a year. That's fine. You know, like that's upholding all of these other ones are still worse than what Ridley did. And Ridley, you know, still gets a year fine. Like you said, you have to keep the integrity of the game. You shouldn't be betting on your own team. Even if it is your own team, you can't be betting on games when you're part of the organization, whatever. But to say that all these other charges are essentially less of a charge or less of a crime than what he did. I mean, I don't know how Goodell is possibly going to try to explain that away. 
I didn't even bring up Dan Snyder about the whole situation going there. I didn't bring up Jerry Jones and everything that's going down in Dallas. I didn't even bring up what's going on with Stephen Ross in Miami about the the accusations of him offering to pay his coach to lose games. How is any of that better than betting on a game with a guy who's not even with the team? I didn't even include those three things. It's just, it's mind-blowing what the NFL thinks is worse than others. Because you can't convince me otherwise that they don't, they honestly don't think that betting on NFL games as a player is worse than, you know, one of your own guys in the league driving drunk and killing a teammate and getting 10 games. To, to me, looking at all this stuff, they don't take any domestic violence seriously compared to betting on NFL games. And it's just, it's pathetic. Yeah, I mean, he, <laughs> whether he, I don't know, it seemed like he acted quite rashly with this uh, suspension here and didn't consider any of these other points because exactly what, you know, you and I see, I, I can assure you that plenty of other people see as well. And I think you're right. I think that to him, the integrity of the game within the game, that betting on the NFL is much more serious than things that happen away from the game, even though Ridley was technically away from the team. But yeah, it's just, I, I don't understand it. And for him to, you know, try to make a full season suspension when all these other charges got much less just blows my mind. Yeah. It, it's a, uh, it's a common theme with the NFL. And uh, I want to say that hopefully they, they see this and, you know, people, I, there has to be other people around Roger Goodell that also see, I am just this average Joe guy who did basic research and can prove a point like this just within like a couple hours. There's other people far smarter than me that do much more research than me on this kind of stuff that can poke holes in that even better than I can. How do they not, how do you see this and go, yep, year, you know, he, he deserves this, you know, more than, you know, beating up your girlfriend. Doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. Yeah. That, that's my rant. That that's like you said, it's been a while since I had one, but like I said, there's, there's few, very few things in my life that I care about. And when I do, I, I care very passionately and I hope that came across and, you know, hopefully this starts getting the attention it deserves because it's pretty messed up. Yeah. When this, uh, first came out, that was like my first exact comparison. I was like, wow, a whole year compared to all of these other things that we've constantly heard in the news about the NFL getting much, much less. So I think if uh, Goodell's hoping it goes away, I was assume Ridley will appeal and it will be right back in the news. So we'll have to uh, kind of keep a keep a not a close eye, but we'll keep an eye on the story and see uh, see what ends up happening. Yeah, I don't. I think he picked the week he did on purpose because he knew some of these things were going to go down, and it's a week before Freedens. Uh, the only other busier time he could announce this was mid free agency. That's. He's trying to get this swept under the rug, and hopefully it doesn't get swept under the rug. So, Phil, we'll try to move past this. We'll move on to our final segment, the Buffalo Bandits. This one's a jam-packed one, and we will start with some of the bigger news in the NLL this week. The interim commissioner, Jessica Berman, will be leaving her post by the end of April. I believe it's April 30th that she's leaving to take over commissioner duties of the Women's Soccer League. It's... uh, it's there's going to be a whole new leadership group going into the NLL this upcoming offseason. It's a very important offseason for the NLL because of the steps they made this year. It's their going to be their first offseason officially 
since their you know the season came back and everything it's going to be a very important offseason because of everything that's gone down in the NL this season and it's going to be very important who the next leadership group is coming in to keep this league moving forward in a weird way um it's kind of nice to see these people like i mean the NLL former commissioner that was just stepped down Nick Sakowitz he got the a new position with the Arizona Coyotes. We kind of knew he stepped down for a reason, but we kind of found out why. He's the new chief business officer of the Arizona Coyotes, so he will deal with their marketing and sales, which is kind of fun for him. And now you have the interim commish, uh, Jessica Berman, now again taking over commissioner duties with the NWSL. So as kind of upsetting as it is for NLL fans, it's also kind of good in a way to see that other leagues are seeing what these people can do for the NLL as an organization and want them to be a part of their organization. So, I mean, they're obviously doing something right. I mean, if, if these people were, you know, staying as commissioners um, for a really long time, then maybe they're not doing something well because they're not being sought after by bigger, better organizations. But it is kind of bittersweet because, like you said, I mean, how much those two have done for the NLL over the last couple of years has been tremendous. I mean, the amount of moves they've made, the amount that this league has grown. I mean, it'll be very interesting to see what this new leadership group will look like and what their ideas for the NLL will be. Hopefully they can just kind of keep this train moving and uh, keep it growing without, you know, trying to overhaul it and make it their own. Just kind of keep everything going in a steady upward direction. Yeah, so kind of expect some new news because April, the end of April is coming quick and there will not be anybody in the leadership role of the NLL, like you said, in a very important offseason coming up. for. And remember, NLL goes well past you know the end of April, so there's the, the season's still going to be going on. Playoffs start in May, so you're going to want somebody in that role, even if it's just in the interim, you know, got the interim tag. So, Phil, I don't know if you heard, but the trade deadline in the NLL is coming up Tuesday, uh, the 15th at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Standard Time. So, you know, the the Bandits might be making some moves. There was a big move that got made most recently the other day. Halifax brought in Sean Evans from Rochester. Uh, we're going to see him a minimum of five times this year, Phil. Uh, that's more than 20% of the season. It's uh, a lot of games to see one player that a lot of the fan base, and I know I put it in Bandits Mafia that, you know, this broke. And there was a lot of mixed reactions on Sean Evans. I think he's a lover. or a, a, You love him or you hate him. It, it's You love him when he's on your team for the most part. For most people, I believe that's the case. And you hate him when he's against you. It's uh, very fair. I mean, I'm right there with him. But you can't deny he's still a very good, good player in this league the bandits have been able to shut him down the three times they face him so far but he's going to a very high powered offense in Halifax and you you got to remember they are the old Rochester Nighthawks when he was on the team to start his career so he's going back to a team that he knows is just a different city yeah I uh, had mixed reviews about the move more from I wasn't sure if I was more upset that Halifax might have gotten a little better or if I was just more upset that I have to see Sean Evans again when I thought I was officially done seeing him for the year. Like we mentioned last time we finished with Rochester, I mean, we were done playing them. He's on their team. They likely weren't making playoffs, so we were going to move on. And here he is again, just being the pest that he only knows how to be. I mean, he is just doing exactly what he knows, and now the Bandits have to see him uh, a few more times because we haven't even played Halifax once yet. 
which I also was kind of confused if that's good or bad. I mean, I think it's better for the bandits to now have to see Halifax with him because I think, you know, you, you want to see this team as they currently are before playoffs as much as possible. But at the same time, if he does improve their team, you also don't want to take losses against them. So a little bit of a catch-22 there as well. Like, I would have liked to have at least had maybe one victory over Halifax before they got Sean Evans and then kind of see what their team looked like with him and how to defend them better with him on the team. But I know, we'll, we'll have to see very soon. I mean, they have two games this weekend, so... It'll be interesting to see if he is inserted right into the lineup and how much of an impact he makes in these next two games they have. So let's move more towards the Buffalo Bandits now. Now, I did a little bit of research. It took me a bit of time because, as everybody knows, there's not a ton of information on the NLL out there. The NLL, you know, shoots themselves in the foot a lot of times because just some easy things like past year stats, which I've been complaining about since the start of the season, and it's midway through March and you still haven't replaced it, but... I, I did the work for everybody. Five of the last six full seasons by the by the Buffalo Bandits, they have made a quote-unquote deadline deal. And I consider a deadline deal as like February on until the actual deadline. Just a few of note, just the last full season, or last season that was cut short, they traded Hogarth and Bridal to Rochester for Frankie Brown and Dan Linter for, uh, you know, down the stretch. You know, 2019, they traded Ryan Wagner in a 2021 first-round pick for Chris Coutier. That kind of worked out. You know, 2020 or 2018, they brought in Sean Evans for Caleb Crawford. Just before that, they brought in Pat uh, Pat Sanders. Uh, no, I'm sorry. They traded Pat Sanders for Tommy Hogarth. Uh, 2017, they traded out Brad Self. Uh, 2017, they brought in Pat Sanders. 2015, they traded out Joe Razateris. His name's going to sound familiar because we faced Albany multiple times. So Buffalo Bandits have been in the market to make trades five of the last six full seasons. They are not shying away from trades. They are probably one of the most active trade partners in the NLL. They make trades constantly. They made a few in the offseason. You know, the Gilray and Matt the Snoo ones, just of note. But, Phil, I'll go over... What picks they currently have before we dive into if there's any possible moves that you would like to see them on the deadline, at the deadline, I should say. So for 2022, the Bill or the Buffalo Bandits have their own first-round pick. They have Toronto's from the Disnew trade, and they have picked 19 for losing Corey Small in the offseason. Round two, they have Phillies from the Brock Sorensen deal, and then they have either Buffalo's or Vancouver's second-round pick, whichever one is higher. That's from the Mitch uh, Jones uh, trade from what was it 2018 no third round picks this year they have their own and colorado's fourth round pick they have two in the fifth round they have their own and philly's fifth round pick and then they have no sixth round picks and then for 2023 2024 and 2025 they have all their own picks nothing else so phil with that said they have plenty of uh, picks to move they have three first rounders two seconds no thirds two fourths two fifths no sixth do you have any possible moves they're making at the deadline here? Yeah, so let me take a really uh, long roundabout way to get to what I'm thinking. So let me know if you know any of these players, all right? You, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Do you know Nanico, Cloutier, Fields, McCauley, Burns, Smith, Fraser, LaRue, Kozetvikov, and Gutterding? Do, do you know all those players? I know every one of them. Okay, so just listening to that list, that is a absolutely insane 
forward group. Is that is that an accurate way to describe that crew there? I'd say it's one of the top in the league, yes. Okay, so forwards, I would say we're out on. Like, I, I have zero interest in them bringing in any forwards at the trade deadline. So my big thing with them is a transition player. So Priolo is currently 24th in the league with 62 loose balls in eight games, and Ian McKay is 35th in the league with 56 loose balls in nine games. For your transition kind of, we'll say veterans, I guess, you have Brownell at 33 years old and Nick Weiss at 29. And then you have Solver on the practice squad as a transition player. Your defense is also getting a little bit older with O'Connor, Spanger, and Priolo all at least 29 or older. And that is pretty much half of your defense. And then you have Brown on the pup list and then Toulette as a younger player on the holdout list. But for me, I was focused on pretty much a transition player and like a dynamic transition player. And I came up with a, I guess, blockbuster trade, in my opinion. Um, okay, I'm ready. And uh, <laughs> I think you're going to have to do it with picks. I don't know. You probably have to give up some kind of forward, not one of the main guys, but maybe one of the back-end guys who you don't see as often, but still players I would not like to lose. But if you had to, I think it's worth it. But as far as picks go, I have a first and a second round pick going away to Calgary for Zach Courier. He is 27 years old, leads the entire league in loose balls at 123. He has done it in only nine games this season, and that goes along with a league-leading 29 cause turnovers. He is currently playing for Calgary, like I said, so trade with them wouldn't really affect the Bandits as far as the East Division goes, and Calgary is currently sitting at 3-6 and six on the year. He is an absolute beast in this league. He is one of the best of the best of the best that is out there for a transition. But Calgary recently, as Bandits fans sadly remember, won a championship. So maybe they are looking to take a step back this year, realizing that they won't have it in them to win it this year. And the additional draft picks, plus maybe a prospect, could take a player like Zach Courier away from them and over to the Bandits. I do like it. I, I like the idea behind it. I like the reasoning behind it. And uh, I'd be all for it, adding more power to this defense. I, I don't think you want to mess with the offense. I, I don't see a reason why you would want to. But you can always improve the defense, bringing guys in, you know, switching some guys out. I, I'm all for that. My main thing, and uh, I, I know it might not be, you know, a lot of common knowledge to the average fan out there, but Frankie Brown is still on the pup list right now. I don't know his health situation. I don't know if he's going to be back this year. I have no idea. But if he is, they're going to have to make room to get him back healthy. I could see them using him, another player, and a pick to possibly upgrade and bring in another guy like Zach, Zach Courier uh, to you know pad this defense and improve it even more. Because in, in the playoffs, you're going to have to get you know a lot... It, there's a lot more stiffer competition, obviously, because you're in the playoffs. Some of the top teams in the league are in the playoffs. You're going to have to match high-powered offense with, you know, high-power offense and top defense with top defense. So I, I can see them if Frank Brown is healthy, which I, I have no idea. Again, NLL, there's not a ton of news out there. He's still on the pup list, but there's currently no room for him. I know they're doing that thing with Dalton Solver. When Steve Priolo comes back from the COVID list, he's probably going to go back on short-term uh, hold out, but there's just no room right now. So if he wants to come back and is healthy and can come back, you're going to have to make more room. I don't think you're going to want to cut anybody on your practice squad right now. So it's, uh, 
there's a lot of moving pieces, but Buffalo Bandits have been known to make trades at the deadline. We gave you a few five of the last six full seasons. They've made a quote-unquote deadline deal in February and March. So they're going to be active. It's just, you know, are they going to pull the trigger and add more guys to the the team that's going for their elusive fifth title that I've always mentioned in all the interviews? It's, uh, I, I guess I also wonder, does the Halifax move bringing in more high-powered offense trying to make the Buffalo Bandits think we got to make a move or is it just, you know, it, we're still better than you? Yeah, I really hope just they focus on transition player. Um, and I, I think the Sean Evans move, I, I think the Bandits, like, again, it's not a move that the Bandits could have made. I mean, even if Sean Evans was available to the Bandits, which I don't think he would have been, but even if he was, there's no room on the offense for a player like that at all. I mean, not even just say what you want about Evans being on your team, off your team, whatever, but even if you brought in any other offensive player, I mean, unless it's one of the, you know, top 10 in the league, it's not people that you can really, you know, bring into this offense because the offense is doing so well. There's just no room for him. So I do hope they bring in a transition player. And I, I think with the amount of picks they have, again, three first rounds and two seconds that you have the draft capital to make it happen, especially because, again, this forward group, I mean, everyone we just labeled off, they're not going anywhere. And I think that's one of the big things with that, at least that group of this team, is that they that forward group is so locked in, especially with even the depth on the practice squad, that they're so young, they're not going anywhere. Like that that forward group is there for years and years and years to come, hopefully. So you're really just focused on more defense and transition. The defense is kind of aging out a little bit. I think they're still fine. Um, but that's an area you might want to get a little younger and then transition. I just don't think the Bandits really have a true dynamic transition player. I know McKay is technically listed as transition and we have seen him score a few goals and he is a pretty solid loose ball player. So he would be one that comes to mind as a very solid transition player, but picking up someone like Courier or, I mean, there's Mike Messenger from the rush. He's 27 years old. He's a little bit bigger than Courier is. He's six, two, but he has 103 loose balls and which is sixth in the league. And then if you had to go to the East, there's two older guys in Keel Matisse and Jordan McIntosh, who I don't think Georgia would want to give up, but uh, the Wings is where Matisse is from. He's 32 years old, so players like that don't really help you in the future, whereas Messenger and Courier, I think, would be here for years to come. But those two players, if you, again, want to make a more similar, like, Sean Evans-type move, maybe you just trade a draft pick for some of these guys who are you know, still very solid transition players and just bolsters your team just that little bit extra to get over that hump to really be that true dynamic championship team. But if the bands don't make any moves at the same time, I think they are fine. Um, I don't think that Sean Evans move, it scares me a little bit, but it more scares me because Halifax's defense seems very good and their goalie seems extremely good. But I think when the Bandits are on their A game, no matter who they come up against, they can, you know, take, you know, hang with the best of them, beat the best of them. So if they don't make a move, I think I'm okay. But if they do, I'd like to really see a dynamic transition player brought in. So like we said, the deadline is Tuesday at noon. So uh, stick with us. We'll have another show before the deadline. So if anything breaks by then, we'll be able to cover it here. And uh, if it breaks after the Monday show, we can cover it on the Friday show. So we will cover no matter what happens uh, around the league, anything that affects the Buffalo Bandits' chances at you know the next title, we'll bring it to you. So Phil, let's dive into the preview. 
They're facing the Philadelphia Wings for the first time. The 9-1 Buffalo Bandits are taking on the 5-6 Philadelphia Wings. Bandits are still coming in. First in the league at scoring at about 13 goals a game. Philly 7th in the East, 10th in the league, 10.5. So there's a bit of a scoring difference there. Bandits are 3rd in the league in giving up goals, 9.7. Philly is 7th in the league, 4th in the East at 10.8. Bandits are 5th in the East. Sixth in the league, 45% on the power play. The uh, the Wings are the best power play unit in the league at 52.4. So they're going to be very dangerous. You're going to want to stay out of the box. Bandits are third on the power play in the East, ninth in the league at 56.9. And the Wings are right behind them, tied for fourth in the East, tied for seventh in the league at 56.1. Phil, it's going to be a very interesting game. Uh, the Wings, the, they have kind of fallen apart of recent but they, they still have some firepower on that offense, and their defense isn't as bad either. So it, it's it's going to be a battle on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, I think it's another one where, I mean, a lot of the East where this, um, you know, where they're kind of log jammed in the records, I think a lot of those teams are just a little bit confusing to look at. Again, when you see the 9-1 Bandits versus the 5-6 and six Wings, again, on paper, just based on record and just based on some of the stats you listed, you're like, okay, should be a game the Bandits win. And again, I think at this point in the season, you're 10 games in to us as Bandit fans and the team that we have seen and everything that the experts we have seen, you know, kind of write articles about as well. Kind of everyone pretty much picks the Bandits as the number one team in the league, the most complete team in the league. So to us, any single game that the Bandits go into, we expect them to win. We think they can win. So I'm not saying that that's not the case. But again, you see five and six for the Wings. You think, okay, should be a little bit of an easier game. But I think this logjam in the middle of the East, these teams that are you know just under 500 seem easier than they are. And I think it's another one of those cases where, again, like you said, I mean, the power play unit, I mean, I don't know how many times I've had to bring up special teams, which is a bummer because... It's a huge part of the game, but it's also not the most exciting to talk about. But with their power play unit being number one in the league, I know the Bandits penalty kills been decent as of late. But again, the Bandits struggle to play very clean games. So, I mean, if they get into any kind of penalty trouble, which we've seen them do, I mean, it could be another cause for just concern in a game like this. I mean, we saw it with the Wolves a few weeks back where, again, they went five of eight on the power play. And that was the only reason they were really able to hang with the Bandits. So it's another game where you just you have to play as clean as possible, and it's a game, again, you, you might think that you can just walk over a team like this, but it's just it's going to be another battle. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a battle, and here's some statistics to back that up. Philly is 3-2 and two in one-score games this year. They The last four games, though, they have scored eight or fewer goals. Five of the last seven, they've scored eight or fewer goals. Two games this year, they've scored over... 12 goals. So if if they try to get into a goal scoring back and forth match, they likely are not going to be able to hang with the Buffalo Bandits. Six games, they have scored under 10 goals. So they are really doing their damage on the power play. 0-4 against teams with winning records, and both of those teams are Toronto and Halifax. They've lost both of the games. They're 0-2 against Toronto, 0-2 against Halifax. Two games, Phil, this is this is where we know it's going to be close because even with all those statistics, only two games out of their 11-game schedule have had an end score that has been higher than three-goal difference. They started 4-2. They're 1-4 since. 
This team is on a spiral right now, but no matter, you know, what the record is, every game except for two has been a very close battle. So, you know, don't take the five and six record versus a nine and one record and just say, hey, it's going to be a blowout because Philly is in a battle for the playoffs right now. They're in the playoff hunt. They want to make the playoffs. Every game is important because they only got seven games left coming down to the stretch. They're going to want to. You know, every team's going to want to take down the top team in the league right now, and that's the Buffalo Bandits. So just on those statistics alone, yes, they can't hang with some of the high-powered offenses, but, I mean, I mean by scoring, but Halifax, it was 10-8 both games. It, it's This is a team that battles, and every game's going to be close, and I don't see Saturday being very different. Yeah, I think the big thing, which, again, we talk about another thing that we mention every single game is getting out to a big league early. I mean, it's, again, very important a game like this. Like you said, they've scored eight or fewer in five of their last seven games. So I think the Bandits' defense is very strong. We still don't know if Priola will be back for this game yet or not. But even if he's not, I mean, the Bandits' defense is still held up pretty well. I think Vince will be looking to bounce back from his performance last week. So he's going to be dialed in. So I think if the Bandits can even go on an early first quarter run of scoring three, four you know, goals really quick, really early, I think that'll throw the wings pretty far off their game. And then from there, it's just a matter of maintaining that lead, which the Bandits have done very well all season. So I think that first quarter is going to be huge. And I think if you can you know, rattle off a few goals and keep their defense kind of on their heels and keep their offense pushing, which is something they can't really seem to do right now, I think that the game will really swing toward the Bandits. But if they are able to, you know, kind of hold the bandits to one or two goals in the first quarter and then same in the second quarter and they can keep it close at halftime, I think it's going to be a battle for the entire game. So some key guys you're going to want to watch for the Philadelphia Wings. We'll start with the forwards. Kevin Crowley, number 21, 33 years old. He's a big 6'4 righty. He's got 16 goals, 39 assists, 55 points. He's tied for 7th in the league in points, 3rd in the league in assists. He does his work on power play as well. He's got 310 for 13 on the power play. He's their top point getter right now through the year or through the, the season so far, and he's just pouring it on. Ben McIntosh, number 90, 30 years old. He's a righty. He's got 21 goals that leads the team. He, uh, he's got 13 assists, 34 points. He's tied for 15th in the league in goals, but he has also got five hat tricks in 11 games. So you cannot let him get going. Matt Rambo, number one, 27 years old. He's a 5'10 lefty, 16, 28 for 44. He's three, four and seven on the power plays shooting about 26%. So you got to get a hand in there. You know, got to get a stick. Don't give him a clear lane. Corey small. You remember him from his Buffalo days. He signed with Philly in the off season, 15 goals, 28 assists, 43 points, 5-10 for 15 on the power play. He is deadly on the power play. Keep an eye on where he is. Brett Hickey, number 11, 31 years old, 6-2 righty. He's five or 15 goals, 21 assists, 36 points, 5-5 five, five, and 10 on the power play. All these guys can score with the best of them, but they also give up the ball a ton. Uh, we got... Matt Rambo's given up 22 turnovers. Hickey's got 30 turnovers. And then Blaze Reardon, number 10, 28 years old, he's got 23 turnovers. So this team does spread the ball around, similar to the Buffalo Bandits. You can see by all these stats, there's, there's one top guy, and then everybody else is in a group right below him. But this team, depending on who has the ball, is prone to the turnovers. So if you can get those cost turnovers up and get more possessions for the offense uh, from your defense, I think that's going to be one of the big keys to the game is creating those turnovers and getting the ball back to your offense. Yeah, again, I mean, this team, they're not bad. 
Um, I mean, it's hard to compare many teams to the Bandits because especially when you're looking at an offense compared to an offense, I mean, the Bandits might have simply one of the most balanced offenses in the entire league. We've talked about it pretty much every single game. Um, and it just, it has not gone away. I mean, the way the Bandits score, the way anyone can get hot on any given night. I mean, other teams can try to say that because, you know, one player will have a good game, but I think it's just much more honest when the Bandits say it because any one of their players on offense has the ability to just kind of take over a game by themselves because they're all just simply that talented. But this is another team that, again, like you said, they spread it out. Clearly, they don't have quite the offensive power as some of the other teams the Bants have played this year, but they're still a pretty dynamic offensive group. It's not a group that you can just sleep on. And again, I think the special teams is just going to be very big in this one, not allowing them to go on that power play opportunity. So in the transition game, Kyle Matitz, number 46, He's 32 years old. He's a big boy, 6'5". He's got six goals, 21 assists for 27 points. So in the transition game, he's going to get up there. He's got 47 shots, so he's going to join the rush. He's got 78 loose balls, which is tied for 14th in the league. He's got 18 turnovers, which is tied for 6th in the league. Anthony Jaqueen, number 33, 27 years old. He's 6'2". He's got 56 loose balls, 14 caused turnovers. That's tied for 14th in the league. Alex Pace, number 41. He's only 24 years old. He's got 71 loose balls, which is tied for 18th in the league, 10 caused turnovers. And then Phil... Poor, poor Max Adler. Trevor Baptiste, number 9, 25 years old. He's got 107 loose balls, which is tied for 5th in the league, 12 caused turnovers, but he is winning 65% of his, his face-offs. Poor Max Adler going against the top two guys in the faceoff in the league. Three of his four, first four games in the league. It's going to be another time where faceoffs might come down to it. And he did win the big one last week, but I, I just feel so bad for him. Coming in, first game, he's got to face the number one guy in the league. Then he gets a little break, but then back-to-back weeks, the number one and number two faceoff guy. This this rush, though, from the transition game and the defense can get up there and, you know, Get, pick up those loose balls, cause the turnover. So you got to be more sound in your transition game and you can't get burned there because you've been relying on Matt Vince to come up with those huge saves too often. So you, you got to be aware of what's going on and you know, I'll be there Saturday and I don't want to be the one going, Oh no, Oh no, Oh no. As a guy gets loose behind the, the, the offense on the, you know, transition game and wide open, you know, in front of Matt Vince. Yeah, I think it's actually, you know, it's good in a way for Adler. You know, just uh, really get these heavyweight fights out of the way. And um, I think it's, I mean, it's weird. Uh, what, do they, what do they call it? Baptism by fire? Is that what it's called? There when, you, uh, yep. you know, he's being introduced in the league with the best of them. And I think in a weird way, it's good for him, though. I mean, do you, do you want him to start really easy and then, you know, head into playoffs, you know, expecting to be great? And then he goes up against the top guys in the league and, you know, he's a little bit un- overwhelmed, but... Now he's just going up against top guys now, getting a lot of solid practice in, really learning how NLL faceoffs work. Again, not sure if they're really that much different from outdoor, but at least this way he's going up against the best of the best in the NLL. And he can really just kind of compare what those guys do compared to what he does. And he can learn from them. And if, you know, he does beat them, even again, in that overtime game when he got that last faceoff win, I mean, that's got to be a huge confidence builder for himself. So in those situations, I think he's just, you know, earning his right and earning his stripes and just, you know, gaining more and more confidence for himself going up against these top players. So I think 
in that way, it's kind of good. But at the same time, like you said, I do feel a little bit bad for him because he's just going up against the best of the best in the league, and he's just joined the team. So, I mean, it's a little bit of a, a rough stretch there. But at the same time, I think it's a good learning experience for him, especially when the Bandits are 9-1 and one and they're doing so well. So it's, it's good time for him to kind of get that out of the way. But, yeah, I mean, the big thing that I'm seeing, again, and I know it's a, a little bit of a sticking point, I guess. Um, I mean, Matisse there was one of the players I kind of picked as a possible trade partner. So, I mean, if the Wings just want to trade him before the Bandits game, I mean, they're both already going to be in the same building. That would be delightful if you just wanted to switch teams real quick. Um, but the cause turnovers are something that I think the bandits are struggling with compared to other teams. I mean, the last couple of weeks, we've seen a lot of teams in the, you know, top at least 10 or more in cause turnovers with at least some of their players and the bandits just do not have that many players up there, especially with Priolo being their top cause turnover player and their top loose ball guy. And if he's missing again, I mean, you're just really missing that transition dynamic. I mean, I know McKay has stepped up and he has done pretty well and he is number two on the bandits in turnovers and loose balls. But I mean, outside of those two guys, you just really don't have that much of a spread out defense and transition game that is causing those turnovers versus some of these other teams that have, you know, one, two, three, four guys that are in the double digits and cause turnovers and higher up on the loose ball list in the league. So I think that's something that the bandits again are just, missing in their team but I mean how much has it really affected them hard to say because they are nine and one and I think this is a great game like you said with how often the wings turn the ball over I think it's a good game for them to try to really focus on that and maybe you know jump some of those numbers up a little bit but it's going to be another team battle for both the offense and the defense but I think the uh band should be okay but again it's just seeing that other teams you know you can kind of compare the other teams of where their strengths are versus the bandits and the bandits are despite having a very good defense and a very good goaltender I think they are a little bit top heavy with their offense being as good as it is but I'd like to see them you know pick up the turnover and loose ball game and maybe this is a game to do it so Annette another familiar face Zach Higgins 30 number 31 31 years old 6'1", 225, like I said, former Bandit. He's 4-5 on the year, 10.51 goals against, 7.97 save percentage. He has lost three straight, four of his last five. Four games, he is over at 800 save percentage. Four games, he has given up under 10 goals. He's seventh in the league in goals against with guys over 200 minutes. He's fifth in the league at save percentage with guys over 200 minutes. So he is a very capable guy back there. He backed up Matt Vince for a year. He was amazing last year for this team. Or the last season that was played, I keep always saying last year, like it actually happened and it didn't, but he is a very reliable goalie back there, but he can be beat. He has had a few, uh, games where he has stood on his head and kept this team in it. But I, I think the Buffalo Bandits can get to him and get him to him early and kind of rattle him because he doesn't have a ton of experience in net. He's got a, he's got a few years of being the lead guy, uh, you know, back there, but I think they can get to him early and kind of rattle his confidence. And with this high powered offense that the Buffalo Bandits have, I, I think they can do it. Yeah. I think the, the three keys that we've kind of seen after going over, the wings as a whole team would be, you know, kind of score early and often get ahead and, you know, just kind of stay ahead and ride that out. But while you're riding it out, like we talked about in the last game, you don't have those humongous scoring droughts. I mean, 
you cannot allow a team like this to stick around. Again, they don't really have the offense to catch up, but if they gain the confidence that they can shut your offense down, that's kind of where you're going to get in a little bit of trouble. So, you know, maybe jump out to an early lead, but don't go, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes without scoring a goal. Make sure you're getting at least a couple every once in a while. And then the huge um, special teams battle. I mean, I think the biggest part of that is just staying out of the penalty box as much as you can, play as clean of a game as you can. I mean, I think last game they did a very good job with that. And the couple penalties that were called, you and I both kind of considered them questionable. So I think for the most part, they had a very clean game last time they played. So hopefully they can just kind of keep that going. So Phil, with this game, we're wrapping it up. What's your prediction for this game? I'm going to go 12 to 8. 12 to 8. I will take it. You're very similar to last week's prediction. You had 12-9. I mean, you've been right in the range the last uh, five predictions. You had 13-8, 13-9, 13-8, 12-9, 12-8. I am going 13-10. I think Philly's going to break their stretch of under 10 goals, but I don't think they're going to break their losing streak. I think this is a team that's going to be in the game the whole time. I think Buffalo Bandits are going to struggle to put them away. I would like to be wrong on that, but I, I think Philly's just that grinded out team that is going to keep each game close all year long and try to sneak into the playoffs doing that style. And uh, I think 13-10 is a, a good score. Good score. Yeah, the, the main reason I have the eight out there is because I do think Vince will come back just dialed in. And I think he that is fair. He's a player that definitely studies game tape. He's a extreme competitor. I mean, we kind of saw the insider lacrosse uh, midway through the season awards that they gave out. And I mean, Smith was one of the three way ties for MVP. Priolo was one of the top defenders thrown out there. And Vince was uh, two of the three votes for goaltender of the year. So I think he is just such a competitor. He's still obviously at his A game. And I think last week it was just such an off week for him that he's a player that will take that to heart, study the film, and just really come back dialed in in this game. So I expect him to just be kind of lights out in this one. Do you have any changes to your BSC team you would like to make? No, I think we're uh, we're riding high right now. I mean, we got the MVP on the team, and uh, he's leading us to within 200 points of your team. <laughs> that is fair. Uh, your team has been uh, destroying me as of recent, and uh, I, I, I'm hoping Priola is coming back because that's been hurting a little. But your team does have 345 points on the year. I have 308.5. So you are sneaking and padding the lead each week so far. And uh, I'm not happy about it. Not happy whatsoever. Yeah, you still got uh, a pretty pretty generous lead um, with my yeah. Sabres team just as a joke. So, I mean, the whole team's a bit of a joke right now. Um, again, why UPL isn't up, I don't know. But uh, that's for another episode. <laughs> So for our final segment here, I know we're going a little bit long, but we told you it was going to be a jam-packed episode. So for our milestone segments, stuff that you want to keep an eye on and uh, stuff that might happen in this game and set milestones for some players. Kyle Buchanan, third straight episode I've had to do this. He's two shots away from 800 on his career. Please get those early in the first period, so uh, or first quarter, so we don't have to worry about it anymore, and I can check you off this list and see you again in 100 more shots. Priolo, if he plays, which is a big question because he's still on the COVID list, Another third time in this section, three, streets, three straight games in a row. He's three penalty minutes away from 10th overall 
all time in the NLL history. Smith is just five shots away from 1,300 on his career. It's insane that number. Can't even comprehend it. Bryce Sweeting is six loose balls away from 200 for his career. And just a little bit of a nugget here because he's got to keep pace. But Smith, Dane Smith, is on pace currently to break the all-time season record for assists. So if he keeps this up, uh, we're going to be having a new leader in the uh, season assist record books. Yeah, and again, I think that just kind of shows once again for the one billionth time that we've mentioned it in 10 games how balanced this offense is. I mean, you cannot get assists if the rest of the team is not picking that up and scoring. And I think he's just elevated his game in the assist column that much more. I mean, he obviously leads the league. And like you said, I mean, he's obviously having a good year if he's on pace to break the season assist record. So I think he's just elevated his game to find ways to draw other teams in and then pass it off. And again, I think there's a few times we've seen him be unselfish a little too much where he's right in front of the net and you're like, dude, you have the ability to score still. And he still has plenty of goals this year as well. So just, you know, maybe bury that. But at the same time, he is uh, dishing it quite well, so I'm not I'm not going to say anything. Phil, very long episode, but ton of content jammed in. Uh, next week's probably going to be pretty exciting as well because we got uh, a trade deadline. We got a Sabres trade deadline coming up as well, and free agency opens. So uh, this is going to be a long stretch for us with the show, so expect uh, longer episodes <laughs> the rest of the month. Yeah, it's good for our fans that we have that uh, that breakdown in case they want to skip around. <laughs> yeah, 100%. If you're not a fan of any of these teams, you don't have to listen to this section. We would love it. We would love if you listen to our beautiful voices because, you know, I've said all the time, I have a face for podcasting. So hopefully I have a voice for podcasting as well. But uh, hopefully you enjoy this one because, like I said, it's a long one. But on our next episode, coming out on Monday, we'll break down the top two guys on the defensive side of the ball we would like the Buffalo Bills to sign if we were the GM. We'll break down any other cap casualties they make on that side of the ball. We'll break down the, the Buffalo Sabres. They're currently up one nothing after two periods versus the Vegas Knights. We'll cover the Heritage Classic game that's being taken care of Sunday. And then we'll break any trades that the Buffalo Bandits make and their game against the Philadelphia Wings. So with that... Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Buffalo Sports Collective. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Buffalo Sports Collective and on Twitter at Buffalo Sports Co. Subscribe to your channel wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you leave us that review on Apple and Spotify. Until next time, bye bye